This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. All the messages are available free on our website or on our podcast. You can go back and catch up. Um, but just want to just do a quick review. Um, the first week we talked about resisting temptation, how God wants us to resist temptation. Because ultimately the enemy is after your purpose, not just after you uh, feeling like a, a guilty religious person, but that he's actually wanting to tempt you and get you off track. Because he wants you to mess up your life. The second week we talked about taking a stand against the things that are hurting our lives. Uh, the third week we talked about resisting sickness and disease. And the last week we talked about resisting selfishness. Um, if our keynote scripture is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's read that this morning together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Or you can click over there on your device. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we can see that this notion of resistance comes from our faith in God. That within this relationship with God, that the scripture, the Apostle Paul, and then we've been reading about Jesus, how he um, gave his disciples power to go out and to resist the enemy. And partly what we're dealing with in this series, resisting the idea, the life philosophy of fatalism. And fatalism would just sound like this. Well, it's just, it's supposed to happen. It is fated to happen. So this thing that might come my way, um, I won't resist it because, you know, everything happens for a reason. Or God's trying to teach me something through this negative situation. And then people just lay down under circumstances. And I think the scripture actually teaches us the opposite. That within our relationship with God, it says that we're supposed to resist in the context of our faith. I have faith in God. I put my trust in God. And then the activity, the posture that I should take in my life when things come my way that hinder me, slow me down, or, or deter me in some way, me or my family, that I should resist, that I should push back against those things with the power of God that's on the inside of me. Now... Um, as I was planning this series, um, I was, you know, working through some of the things that I saw in the scripture and, and um, planned it out. And then next week we're actually celebrating water baptism as a church family. And the message that fell um, on today is actually an interesting timing for the, some of the things that have gone on in the world in the last couple of days in, in France and in, in Lebanon. And um, I just want to preface this message by telling you that everything that I say today is not politically motivated. All right? I'm not making a political speech today. Don't take something political from what I'm trying to... And I actually, as I was preparing this message yesterday, I actually tried to avoid it. I thought, you know what? Let's just think of something else to preach. Um, because it just seems like I'm choosing to preach this... Um, on this day, specifically what's happened in the world, I really just didn't have anything else to preach. And it just didn't, I mean, I, and I don't mean it that way. I mean, as I went through the scriptures weeks ago, um, this topic came up and it's falling this Sunday. So like I said, don't, don't take anything I'm saying or doing today. It is not politically motivated. Um, don't twist anything that I'm saying into a political statement. Do we have an agreement? 
All right. Um, within the context of the world that we live, this actually has, um, and some of the events that just happened, it, it has great application for us today. That at any time in life, there is going to be negativity that we might be facing in the world around us, in our circumstances. But as followers of Christ, we have to choose to resist sadness and despair. Um, not only one of the things that I, I, I think that it's, it, it's kind of short-sighted for us to live like that, but as an example, you know, we, life goes on, I would say, in a certain respect, that we had children up here today, right? We had babies up here today who aren't aware of the things that are going on in the world. So we as parents, we can't become sad and despairing about the world around us and sort of throw up our hands and, and give up hope for anything good to be happening in the world because we have a next generation following us. And then I think as Christ followers, I just don't think we should allow ourselves to just be sad all of the time because of activities of the world around us or allowing us to be uh, despairing. So today we're actually going to be talking about justice or resisting injustice that as we look around the world, we are going to encounter injustice or we will view injustice. And what is it that we are supposed to do? What should be our attitude? What, what is it that we can accomplish in the world today, empowered by the Spirit of God, Jesus' power on the inside of us? How is it that we're supposed to think about certain things that happen that we can just look at and be like, this is just not right? It, it shouldn't be this way. Um, what should be our attitude and how should we think about these things? And I just want to differentiate, and this, once again, my first non-political statement that can be perceived as a political statement that the role of the government and the role of governments is different than the role of the church. And we see here this described in, in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those, those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he, talking about gov uh, governing authorities, rulers, presidents, prime ministers, kings at this time, for he is God's servant for your good. Listen, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Who? Governments, leaders, rulers. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you will also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. This is our favorite verse, right? Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we see that the role of government or the role of governments... If you, if you write along with me there, is very specific within the world and within the context of God's authority. And these are, I, I don't have a 
tweetable length um, solution for you today to all of the world's problems. Oh, I forgot to dismiss the junior highs. <laughs> That's a world problem right there. Yes, junior highs. I apologize. They didn't want to listen to this sermon anyway, trust me. See, my mind was like, i got to preach this sermon. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Another injustice that the junior highs will face. All right, as I was saying, I don't have a tweetable length solution this morning to very complex world problems. And there is no tweetable length, there is no Facebook post that can solve the complexity of all of the issues that exist in the world today. I, I hope you would agree. But one of the things that we see within the authority of God's structure that rulers, that governing bodies actually have a part to play in God's plans. So we, as the church, what should we be doing? We should be praying for our leaders. We are in, once again, the throes. We've just come out of a very uh, political charge season of our country within North America. That, you know, I mean, the American politics thing, it's a marathon for someone to become a president in the States. And so we're living in this very political world. And so what is it that we're supposed to do with our world leaders that we're supposed to be praying for them? Do you understand that if the issues facing us in the world today won't be solved by one world leader... Is everybody clear on this? I mean, it's going to take all of the world leaders doing the things that actually are in the mind and heart of God for us to fix the problems of the world, that world leaders can actually make choices, legislation can actually happen to fix some of the issues that are in our broken world today. So what should we do? We should be praying for our leaders. The Bible tells us that we should pray for those in authority, pray for kings, that we would live a quiet and peaceable life. So the government has a role to play. We should be praying for them, not just our own prime minister, not just the president of the United States. That now, I mean, so many world leaders, they've all come to the, the forefront of the stage of all of the issues that are being faced in the real world in which we live. Christians have a part to play. What do we need to do? We need to be praying for these leaders. That they would do things according to God's will. That they would be resisting evil. So we want to be praying for our leaders. Amen. So that we, so that's not a political statement this morning. Um, it, it's just that that's something that Christians should do. That we should be praying for our leaders. Not only our prime minister, but other world leaders. So the government has a role. We just read it. It's very clear. We should be praying for our leaders that they would take the appropriate action in all of the, the world issues. But then the church also has a role. And then we also have responsibilities as followers of Christ. And then I think Luke 13 is, is a great starting place for us. As in this series, we have been talking about just this idea that we need to resist some of the things that are going on in the world around us and not just lay down underneath them. And this is, once again, this is a mindset that is prevalent everywhere and it's prevalent in Jesus' day. And we see it here in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. Now there were some present on the occasion who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now just pause for a second. So here is a situation where Pilate, who is a, uh, a governing authority, 
who had killed some Galileans who were doing religious sacrifices. And so the leaders, they had done this thing, and so these people had died. And they're basically asking Jesus about this situation. Here's this situation, and Pilate came in, and he killed these people, and they were making you know, religious sacrifices, and then they were, their blood was spilled in the middle of that. And then he said to them, says he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? Question, he's asking them. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also perish as well. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? So here's another accident, a terrible accident that happened that there was this tower at the Pool of Siloam. We were aware of this situation and this tower fell and 18 people died. And so, once again, the fatalistic mindset says, well, I guess these people did something to deserve this. I guess, uh, you know, karma happened or, or this went on and they did this and so they just died. And, and so Jesus is asking them, do you think these people are worse sinners than you? Do you think that, they're, that somehow you're alive because you're just better, that you sin less than these other people who are dying in these accidents? And he's, asked, he's basically telling them, no, don't think like that. Verse 5, he says this, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And ultimately the answer is, no, everybody is going to die. The mortality rate is still 100%. So no, nobody has lived forever anyway in this body, in this flesh. So everybody is going to die. So we're not going to once again extrapolate the mind and will of God from circumstances. Jesus is very specific about this. But then he says this, verse 6. But I, then I told you this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it, found none. So he said to the worker who tended the vineyard, for three years now I have come looking for fruit on this tree. And each time I inspect it, I find none. Cut it down. Why should I continue to deplete the soil? But the worker answered and said, Sir, leave it alone. This year too, until I dig around it, I put fertilizer on it, and then if it bears fruit, next year, very well. But if not, you can cut it down. So ultimately, here is the thought. Everybody is going to die. We're not going to take out the timing of their death. We're not going to take out the mind and will and heart and affection that God has for that individual based on the timing of their death. Nor will we say that they are worse sinners than anybody else because these things happen to them. But then he says this at the end, and he gives them this parable. Everybody is going to die, but then he talks about a parable about bearing fruit. The question is for, for the people listening to Jesus and then for us, will we, as Christ followers, bear fruit? In other words, do something. Will we do something? When we are resisting the things that come against our family, are we resisting the things that would come against our children? When we resist the things that come against our lives, when we resist the things that come against justice, will we push back against it? Will we be fruitful? Or are we just going to lay down and be sad and be in despair? Now for us as a church, you know, we, 
we want to take action in these areas. We want to do something for the physical needs of, of people. As we can look around the world, that there are things going on. Um, people not eating. People suffering um, after natural disasters. That these things... And these are all uh, innocent people. They're not worse sinners than we are. So we don't look at these situations. We don't look at somebody being hungry. We don't look at somebody facing a natural disaster and say, Oh, we'll just leave them alone now. Because somehow that's the judgment of God. No, that we're supposed to be bearing fruit in these situations. We're supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be resisting injustice. And in the measure that we can bring, bring some justice to some negative situations. Now, we can't bring justice to all situations. We can't fix all of the world's problems. But we can do something. If we, if we say, well, I can't do everything, so I won't do anything, then we're kind of missing the boat there as well. So we want to be able to do some things as a church. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, we, we, support, we support Samaritan's Purse, which is a disaster relief organization. We support them financially, and they are always on the ground right after natural disasters, providing you know, medical supplies and water and, 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 and different things for people. Um, we are doing Christmas child boxes. Uh, we, we know that there's children in the developing world who, you know, are going to experience Christmas differently than we are. And then we take this opportunity not just to give them gifts, but then also to present the gospel with the gifts that we give them. That's what Christmas Child is all about. So we want to bring some justice to these areas of the world that we think that there is injustice. We, uh, on a monthly basis, we want we do support Eden Food Bank, Eden Food for Change. We have our, our hamper out in the front there in the lobby, you see. And we invite you um, every Sunday to bring food to put in there that we can take so we can feed some people in Mississauga that are struggling, um, not being able to eat. And this is some of the things that we're going to be doing um, throughout Christmas in the city. We want to do a food drive all of the four weeks of Christmas in the city. We do things with Brampton Soup Kitchen. We do are doing something with our students, Operation Good Thing, which is providing homeless uh, packs to help people that are homeless. Our young adults... Earlier this year did random acts of kindness. They went out and they were just blessing people with gift cards. And then us, uh, earlier this year, we entered into a global partnership with World Vision, um, supporting children. And we won, all of us are, that are supporting children in one specific uh, region in the Philippines, Albay. And if you miss that, uh, you can go on our website and you can sponsor a child. If you go to our website and discover more global partnership, and there's a, a link there that you can click on and see the children that are still available to be sponsored. Uh, and we, that the fact that we can provide sponsorships for ch- children, that we can transform a community with some of our resources is an amazing thing. It's an, it's an amazing thing that we can do, that we can bring a small measure of justice to some of the injustices that we would see around the world. And we can do that with our praying, and we can do that with our resources, and we can also do that with our actions. And with one of the ministries, uh, Samaritan's Purse, I'm actually going to show you a video this morning. And I'm going to reiterate, this is not a political video, okay? And and governments have responsibilities uh, to make decisions about refugees and, and, and all those different things. So this is not a political video. This is a video about human beings. And... Um, and once again, see, I planned all this before things happened. So, you know, I, like I said, I was, I was either going to chicken out and then we sang about being brave this morning. And I'm like, I'm just going to be brave and do all this, all right? 
<laughs> so, once again, I, th- I'm not, there's no statement about anything, about numbers and refugees and political parties, etc., etc. This is a video that's actually showing something about refugees and Samaritan's Purse doing something for these refugees and people that have never in their lives met a Christian. And Samaritan's Purse is there in, in the name of Jesus not doing a political service or not deciding what governments should decide as it relates to refugees, all of the complex problems in the world. But I just wanted to show you something uh, that they are doing as an organization that can inspire us. Um, this is obviously, you know, this, this is taking place in, in a different part of the world. So we can't do exactly what's being seen in this video. But I think it should inspire us to think about the people that we could encounter. So let's just watch this together. This is not a political video. So we can see people, I mean, there's, there's so many things going on in the world. Once again, it, it can be overwhelming. If we look at all of the injustice around the globe, uh, and, and we can't as a single church or we can't as a single person solve all of these problems. But I think if, if we have this, once, once again, if we just lay down under the weight of it all and just think, well, I can't do anything, I think we miss the fact of this mentality. I need to resist injustice. I need to do something. I, I, I need to bring a measure of justice in and around my life. What is the things that I can do? It might, might not be as dramatic as this. They might not videotape you doing it. But what, what is the things that I'm experiencing? What, what is the things that I'm seeing that I can actually make a choice and make a difference? Romans chapter 6 verse 12 says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make your to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So because we've experienced life in God, in other words, we're no longer dead in our sin, that we have new life in Christ, what are we supposed to do? And as uh, that we're, we're not going to present our bodies for unrighteousness, but we're going to do something else. And then it says this, we've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no, have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So once again, I think those last few words get misquoted out of context constantly. But because we are not under law, that we're not burdened under law, that we live this life of grace, that we should actually do things. Now we don't do any of these things to become righteous. We don't do any of these acts of kindness. We don't do acts of justice. We don't resist injustice to try to become righteous before God. But because we are made right before God, because by His grace, He's offered us a relationship with Him from that place, we offer ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. God, that you can use me to bring a measure of justice to the world that I live in. What are the ways that you can do that? What are the choices that I can make to resist? 
has to start with that mentality, though. It has to start with that thing that I can actually make a difference, that I can actually resist some of the injustice that's happening around the world. I can pray for our world leaders that they would make righteous choices, that they would be resisting on a global scale injustice that is happening around us every day on the news. That's for them to do, and they should do it. And we want them to do the right things, but what about me? Am I just going to pray? Or am I actually going to take some action in my life uh, with the people around me, with the people that I might know? Now in Isaiah chapter 58, the prophet Isaiah is, is prophesying here in this chapter to the children of Israel, and they're kind of, they're kind of a little bit um, bothered because they have been praying and fasting and they've been doing certain things and as they would think, oh, because I've done this, God should be doing this. And the things that they were asking for and the things that they were uh, fasting for weren't happening the way they thought they should, so they were kind of getting angry with God. Now, I know no one would ever do this today, just in Bible times, but I think, uh, you know, this is what we do a lot of times. We kind of think, well, you know, I'm going to church and I'm giving my tithes and offerings and this is happening and I'm praying and then therefore this other thing should be happening exactly like this in my life. And then when it doesn't happen, according to my timing, we kind of get frustrated with God. So let's read about this here in Isaiah. Chapter 58, starting in verse 2, it says this. They seek me day after day, and they want to know my requirements like a nation that does what is right and does not reject the law of their God. They ask me for just decrees. They want to be near God. They lament. Why don't you notice when we fast? Why don't you pay attention? We humble ourselves. Look, at the same time you fast, you satisfy yourself with selfish desires. You oppress your workers. So the prophet is saying to them, this is what they're saying to God. You don't notice when we fast, God. You don't notice when we do these religious things. You're not paying attention to us. And the prophet is saying, uh, you're oppressing your workers and you're just satisfying your own selfish desires. Verse 4, look at your fasting. Is it accompanied by arguments, brawls, and fistfights? Do you not fast as you do today, trying to make your voice heard in heaven? Listen, is this really the kind of fasting I want? God is asking these people who are doing religious acts. And all of us are susceptible to this mentality. Whether we, we turn our, our Bible reading and our prayer from developing a relationship with God to religious works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a chapter of the Bible today, God, and because I'm reading this chapter, you should then for me. And this is how they're, they're thinking about their relationship with God. Is this really the kind of fasting I want, starting in verse 5? Do I want a day when people merely humble themselves, bowing their heads like a reed and stretching out on sackcloth, a sackcloth and ashes? Is this really what you call a fast, a day that is pleasing to the Lord? A day? Well, I'm a Christian on Sunday. And I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll do the Sunday thing and I'll do the Christian thing on Sunday and I'll dress a certain way so everybody thinks I'm spiritual and I'll pray a certain way so everybody thinks I'm spiritual and I'll sing a certain way so everybody thinks I'm spiritual. And then the question is, is this this really, is this really what God is asking for us, from us? 
These sort of, the mentality where we turn our relationship with God into religious duty or religious manipulation. That I'm going to do all of this and then God is going to do for me. Verse 6, no, this is the kind of fast that I want. I want you to remove the sinful chains, to tear away the ropes of the burdensome yoke, to set free the oppressed, to break every burdensome yoke. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for the homeless, oppressed people. When you see someone naked, clothe him. Do not turn your back on your own flesh and blood. Verse 8, then your light will shine like the sunrise. Your restoration will quickly arrive. Your godly behavior, everybody say godly behavior, not Facebook post. Not tweet. Christians, I have told you this so many times, this this is my world, this is what I've grown up in. Christians are so interested in making a point. Not as much interested in making a difference. And I think we need to switch that around. And it's so much easier to make your point after you've made a difference. But if we're just, we're just trying to make a point and make a point and this is our position on this and this is our position on this, I think we, we fall short. Because it's said we do all of these things and once again, none of these acts make us righteous. Feeding the homeless, helping a hungry person doesn't make us more spiritual. Doesn't get us closer to God. God doesn't, you know, it, it's not, it, it's, it's no movement closer to God because we do these righteous acts that we resist injustice. But it should be something that we see from the gift, from this wonderful place of grace that God has given to me. Man, He's given me so much that I can actually do, I'm not actually worried just about myself and my own eternity. My, my eternity has already been taken care of by God. And so now, what is it that I can do with my life? The life that I live now. God is taking care of our eternity. It is the world around us now that He wants us to be instruments of righteousness. Calling us to be instruments of righteousness. Verse 8, Then your light will shine like the sunrise. Your restoration will quickly arrive. Your godly behavior will go before you. And the Lord's splendor will be your rear guard. Then you will call out to the Lord. And the Lord will respond you. You will cry out and He will reply, Here I am. You must remove the burdensome yoke from among you and stop pointing fingers and speaking sinfully. You must actively help the hungry and feed the oppressed. Your light will dispel the darkness and your darkness will be transformed into new day. Your light will dispel the darkness. Your light will dispel the darkness. All of us have a chance every day to bring the light of God's kingdom into our families. Talked about there that we, that we wouldn't be uh, leaving our families or despising our families, that we would love and bring the light of God to our families, to our co-workers, to whatever is happening in our community, that we can bring light. Carriers of the light of God, carriers of the Spirit of God. Not just trying to make a point. 
that we can actually actively do something. He's calling us to do it. Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We're almost done. Did I say this is not a political message? Did I mention that already? Micah chapter 6. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Calling out to his followers. The government has a role, doesn't it? Did we read about it? Did we see it in the scripture? The government has a role. We should be praying for the government to do their role. What is our role? What is it that God is asking us to do? That we would do justice and to love kindness. See, there's so many Christians I know that are so consumed with how amazing their denomination is and how amazing the preachers in their group preach better than all of the other groups and how their preachers preach. And we believe all of the right things. And our group is the best because we sing these songs and we emphasize these doctrinal truths and we're better than all of the other Christians. And I'm telling you, it is a waste of time. It is a waste of time. There is a real world that we live in that needs us to be the church. That needs us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let the government do what the government should do. Pray for them. We want them to do the right things. We want our government to resist injustice. Amen? But then we need to do what God has called us to do and not get involved. I mean, I saw, once again, Facebook was driving me crazy the last two days. I, you got people posting, here's the right way to pray for Paris. <laughs> Seriously, that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to argue about how to pray for Paris. Pray for Paris. Don't get into a doctrinal argument. It's, we're, we're, we've separated ourselves into like weird worlds. And the world that we live in needs us to love them, to care for them, to pray for them, to do whatever we can do. We can't do it all, but we can do something. He's calling us to do something. He's calling us to not just wait till we get to heaven to have some great experience. He's calling us now. That we can do something. That we can actually affect our community. That we can affect our city in real and tangible ways. Not just trying to make a point. But we can make a difference. Amen. Ellen, come on up. In Matthew chapter 25, this portion of scripture is talking about Judgment Day. The, the, and this is where we see that God is the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge of the world. Our, our judgments about how things should be, 
and what this group should do and what this group should do and all our, our judgment is so limited based on whatever knowledge we have. God's judgment is perfect because all knowledge is available to him. And there is a judgment day in the future the scripture is showing us when all things will be set right. That God will set it all right. And then on judgment day, there's, we, we know we're aware of this, that rewards are given to the church and these different uh, people that are following God and all these different things. And sometimes maybe we get excited. Oh, on judgment day, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. But there's kind of a sobering portion of the judgment day description. When, when Jesus, when we see here Jesus is describing on judgment day, the people that believed, he's actually separating the people that believed into two groups, sheep and goats. And then he talks about, um, you know, the feeding somebody and giving somebody a drink of water and all these different things. And then he said, but then he says he personalizes it. And he said, you know, you, you never visited me or you never gave me something to drink. You never did that. And they're like, well, when did we ever see you, God, in these situations? We see this here, starting in verse 37 of Matthew 25. The righteous, listen, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or are thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, see you as stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, I tell you the truth, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Do you see God personalizes it? God personalizes somebody that actually might need like an actual meal. how amazing our doctrine is and how we're right and everybody else is wrong that somebody might actually need like a, a real drink of water to like live and in the midst of that God is personalizing that person that needs a meal when you give them a meal you're actually giving it to me that he identifies himself with the poor. That he identifies himself with people that are facing injustice. And then when we do something for them, we do something for him. we got a pile of boxes back there. That we're doing something for people. And when we do something for those kids, we're doing something for God. A bunch of people we saw that had never met a Christian before, but got to meet a Christian for the very first time. And they were loving them. They were giving them a bottle of water. They were giving them a banana. And they were helping them get their family off a boat. Do you think that any of those people on that boat were like, hey, before you help me, I just want to know what your doctrine is about the Trinity? them. It's not a 
political statement, helping them, God is personalizing it. And I know they're the wrong religion. I get it. I'm aware. People, though, understand that God loves people, all of the people. All the, all the people that believe right, the right way, and all the people that believe the wrong way. God loves all of the people. And he's calling us to be instruments of his righteousness. See, and there are victims of injustice. today there's victims of people that have been betrayed people who have been hurt people that have been damaged people that have been lied about people have gone through difficult times something has happened to them that wasn't their fault that we can't take some big reason and pit it on them and say oh they deserve it that they suffer injustice not only did Jesus do something for us, but he actually did something with us. That Jesus suffered. The centerpiece of the Christian story is the cross. And it is a story of suffering. That God is not an aloof God. That God is not just a pie in the sky with all of his wonderfulness up in the sky. But he actually came down and he identified with humanity. And says this, listen, I understand what it means to suffer. I am your high priest. I get it. I came down and I faced all the same stuff you did. He was unjustly betrayed, unjustly accused, had an unjust trial, had an unjust scourging, had an unjust crucifixion. with this we might feel like a victim of an unjust circumstance but our relationship with our Savior tells us that we should not lay down we should not give up we should not despair we should not think the problems of the world are too big but I know the one who overcame I know the one who overcame death. I know the one who overcomes injustice and lives on the inside of me. And he inspires me to resist. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.